Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. I've learned through uh, issues. I've learned through peace. I've learned through pain and prosperity, through winning and losing that. It's not what I feel about God that has sustained me. It's what I knew to be true about him that sustained me. And listen to the pastor, that's exactly what you're experiencing right now. Not the, the feelings, because those feelings um, can be fickle at best. Am I, am I the only person who's ever had their feelings lie to them? You know, feelings are incredible indicators. They truly are. God designed you to be a person that feels. God designed you to be a per- person that has emotions. And, and feelings and emotions aren't bad. What takes place, though, is that as though feelings are, are meant to be an indicator of something amiss, a lot of times we give it permission to control every area of our lives. And to be honest with you, anybody who allows their feelings to control every area of your life will find out really quickly that uh, your feelings are a horrible dictator. It's mean. Many times, people's entire opinions about God are, are left based on what they feel about Him in that moment. I don't feel like God was with me. Well, I feel like I can do anything through Christ. I, I felt his presence in church. I've never felt more alone in my life. Um, I feel like he likes Bob more than he likes me, and I feel like maybe I'm his favorite. And we, We're going through these, these feelings, and while feelings are a great indicator, they're, a, they're just a brutal leader in your life. Today, we're going we're gonna to try to look at a, 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 a psalm for me. That has been a psalm of my life um, through good times and through bad times. So if you have your Bible, we're going to go ahead and we're going to read Psalm 27. I think it's interesting that Pastor is diving into Psalms, and it's where I'm at right now. We didn't plan this at all. Psalm 27, it says this. They're going to put it on the screen. I'm going to read from a different version, but it says this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumble and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though the war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple, Verse 5, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret place of his tabernacle, and he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, will I seek Verse 9, do not turn or hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been 
my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsook me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me in the will of my adversaries. For false witnesses have risen against me, and such, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I have believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God, we just thank you for this day. Father, I just thank you for who you are. That is not indicative of what I do or don't do. That it's not about my feelings at that moment. It's not about what's when my life is awesome or when my life is tragic. It doesn't matter what's going on. God, I just thank you that you are forever a strong shield, a strong tower in all of our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. How many times have you spoken the phrase, or maybe you've heard the phrase, well, you know my heart. This idea here is typically said, when we're about to say or do something that the other person doesn't like. Y'all, y'all get me on that one. You do something. Well, I mean, you know my heart, Elaine. I'm not that kind of a person. Maybe you're listening to somebody and they're watching your facial reaction. Be like, listen, you know my heart, but Ira. You know my heart, but but this or but that. And what's taking place is what they're asking is this. They're asking you for you to remember who they were before they are about to say or before they did something. What they're asking for you is, do you know my character whenever everything on the outside looks different than my character? Do you know who I am even when I don't look like I'm doing what I should or shouldn't be doing? See, in the Bible, God has these verses about his character because the idea here is to let you know who he is when you don't feel like he is who he says he is. One of the words that they use like in Hebrews is immutable. That's just a fancy Bible word for meaning he's always the same. He doesn't change. He can he continually mainstays fast. He doesn't waver. He doesn't adjust. He does not uh, great over here and then bad over here. He is who he is. And I don't know about you, but man, I could use some consistency in my life these days. People have been inconsistent. Economies have been inconsistent. Jobs, jeez, have been inconsistent. Relationships have been inconsistent. Health has been inconsistent. Uh, and How we even go out into the public has been inconsistent. Going from one Walgreens to another Walgreens can be inconsistent. But in all this inconsistency, one thing has never and will never change, and that is God's unchanging nature. Y'all, I grew up in Slapout yesterday. I got to drive by and show my son the house that I grew up in. So let me get to my roots for just a little bit. This is going to be some good slap-out English so to help us understand immutable. It is this. He is what he was, and what he was, he will be. He is what he was, and what he was, he will be. 
I know the grammar there is beautiful. But that's exactly what's taking place. God was what he was. He is who he is. He will be who he will be. And those aren't three different personalities. That is consistency through every aspect and through every season, through every moment, through every issue, through every high and through every no. He was who he was. He is who he is. He will be who he will be. Let me, let me, let me get back to some of my other roots for a little bit. I loved uh, uh, speaking at some of our gospel churches. So here we go for just a second. Let me do this. Uh, if he was a door opener... He is a door opener. He will be a door opener. If he was a healer, he is a healer. He will be a healer. If he was a provider, he is a provider. He will be a provider. Come on, I'm going to keep going until somebody gets a hold of this. He was a strong tower. He is a strong tower. He will be a strong tower. Come on, somebody. He was speaking blessings over you. He is speaking blessings over you. He will speak blessings over you. He was a great physician. He is a great physician. He will be a great physician. He was my Savior. He is my Savior. He will be my Savior. Because one thing about God, God is he doesn't change everything around me may change my feelings will always change but he remains the same because he's immutable he doesn't change who he was will be who he is will be who he will be he does not adjust who he is based on my circumstance <laughs> my issues my circumstances my failures and my successes never change who he is when I'm in my lowest of low, he's not further away than he was. When I'm at the highest of high, he doesn't love me more than when I was at my low. He is who he is, and he will be who he will be, and it doesn't change based on what I'm going through at that moment. In fact, if you really look at it, <laughs> my circumstances never change who God is, but every time he inserts himself into my circumstances, they bow to who he is. Come on, somebody. Mm. Not only is one of his greatest characteristics that he's immutable. Another great thing is that he is always moving. He's always progressing. He is a God that moves. One of the first times we see him in the Bible, he's hovering over the waters. He's moving. God is always moving. In fact, he takes us from grace to grace. He takes us to glory to glory. He takes us from one level to another. His constant movement in our lives is because he continues to want to move. In fact, when you look at the, the Old Testament after they leave Egypt, he tells the Israelites, I'm not just going to give you the land. We're going to take it inch by inch. Because one of the worst things that God could do to you and to me is to give you everything you've ever asked for right now. One thing I've heard my dad say a million times is when somebody's asked for more, he said, I loved them too much to give them more. It would kill them. See, God is a God of movement and he is continually moving you. But here's the thing. The Bible says <laughs> that he is my shepherd, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, he is moving me as a shepherd through times that don't look good, but they're going to be all right. Because sometimes when we go from moving from one place to another, our eyes and our feelings don't like it, but God is setting you up for success. 
See, God is continually wanting to move you. He wants to see you progress in life. The enemy is always wanting you to stand still in life. Yesterday, we, a bunch of guys went and played paintball yesterday, and, and I had a conversation with my son. This was his first experience playing paintball. And I had explained to him, like, hey, even though you may play video games and you play Call of Duty, it's not the same thing. Because when my son plays video games, he's a camper. What a camper does is he sits still and waits for somebody to walk in front of him, and then he shoots him in the back. I explained to Malachi, like, hey, bud, you may have a great kill-to-death ratio in video games, but when you're playing my game, if you're camping, you're getting killed. Because we're playing close-quarter combat, and if you're sitting still, you're going to die. He kind of looks at me, I'm like, so when I say move, move. But in his mind, Dad, you're asking me to run towards the fight. And you're going to tell me I'm safer running at the enemy than I am staying behind. I'm like, absolutely you are. Because once you start charging at the enemy, the enemy loses his will to fight. And I watched it time and time again yesterday. I, I tried my best to show it to him. I showed some of our teammates, like, listen, when, you, when you're going head-to-head towards somebody and they lock eyes with you and you lock eyes with them and you're popping at them and they're popping at you, the, the thing that scares them is when you stand up and start advancing towards them. Time and time again, I'd get into a gunfight, I'd look, I'd figure out where they were, I'd stand up and pop, 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 pop. I'm lining it up right at them. And you know what they did? They hid. They hid behind their barrier. You know what I'm doing? I'm closing in on where they are. And so when they pop their head on this side, I've already flanked them on this side, and I'm plugging them in the back. So cold. And I feel bad for some of the people in our church. You got owned. It is what it is. <laughs> but that's the tactics of warfare, is that you got to keep progressing. The enemy wants you to stand still. The enemy wants you to be a camper. Because if you're a camper, you're not taking new property. And if you're a camper, you're sitting still, and you're not a threat any longer. See, one of the saddest moments of our lives is when we're in 2022, but stuck in 2019. And this is what's taking place. See, God is wanting you to move from yesterday into your tomorrow, but we're sitting here going, but my yesterday was so rough. And I'm not saying your feelings aren't valid. And I'm not saying you didn't go through hell. But what I'm telling you is you got to get up and you got to keep pushing no matter what you're feeling because 2022 is here and it's time to get up and get in the fight again. But the feelings want us to stand back. Because the fear of getting shots and the fear of experiencing pain overpowers us from our desire to be a success. And the moment that we live a life where we're more afraid of pain than we are of success is the moment that you lose every single time. I don't know where I'm at on my notes, and I apologize. It is what it is. This psalm hits home. It hits home for me because David writes this song, and while scholars will Uh, be uh, in disagreement on when he actually wrote this song, one thing that we do know is it was somewhere between his three anointings. If you didn't know, David was anointed three different times in his life. We'll let Pastor Allen break that down some other time. 
But his very first anointing was by a prophet. His first anointing was at home with his people around him. His second anointing was at a place called Hebron. Very small group of people were around him at the mountaintop in Judah. His third anointing was when the people gathered around him and said, please be our king, and they anointed him. Here's the thing. In your life, one of the biggest things you'll ever realize is this, is that your anointing that God has placed on your life is called for you to move forward and not stay back. But we have to learn how to manage that anointing like David did because David gets anointing and he gets back with his people. He goes back to his brothers. He goes back to his fathers. He goes back to the sheep. Because here's the thing. Many times we get anointed for something and expect the grandeur of that anointing. But God says you're in a process. I'm letting you know that there is more so that you keep on moving forward, but you're in the process. You're not ready for the kingdom yet. You're ready for the sheep. If you can't manage your insides around your family, around your friends, around your home people, how do you feel like you're going to manage your insides around the nations? So David goes back to the sheep. He does what he does. He teaches what he teaches. He learns life lessons because David first, and what you have to do first is learn your worship when you're alone. You have to learn your anointing when you're by yourself. You have to know your yeses and your noes when no one else is around you. Will you change who you are based on the people that are around you? Well, when I become that person, then I'll get my... No. I'll start learning the Bible when I have kids. I'll start worshiping when I'm in a problem. Can I tell you something? Who I am alone is more important than who I am on this stage. And what we're seeing in our world right now is that people get anointed and they hear a good word and they hear that God is for them and they hear a great prophecy and they go through all of these wonderful things and now they're sitting back, sipping my ties, expecting God to pick them up from their one place and throw them in another place. All the while God is saying, serve yourself into the destiny because in that servant mode, you get to learn who you are. So David goes to Hebron. Hebron's a hard place. The mountain that he's on has horrible cliffs. He's got a very small group of people that's with him. They're not the best people. David at this time is running for his life. In fact, it's so crazy. Hold on, let me see if I can find it. It's in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel 21, David flees to a place called Gath. <laughs> this is David, the mighty man of God. This is what he says. Then David arose and fled before Saul, went to the king of Gath. And the servants said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? And did they not sing of him one to another in dancing and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Look at this verse. This is a life verse for many people right now. Verse 12, And David took these words to heart and was very much afraid. So he changed his behavior before them and acted as if he was a madman. This is what takes place in many of our lives is that we're one way when we're with our people and we're another way when we're with our enemies. But God never changes. 
God never shifts who he is based on what's going on on the inside. And at this moment, David is running for his life, and I don't... You read Psalms, you see his emotions. You read Psalms, you see his feelings. You read Psalms, you see the, the garbage that he was going through. But here's the thing, is that in this moment, David is finding himself in the cave of Adullam, running for his life. And when he writes the psalm that we just read, what he's doing is he's sitting there, not sure if he's going to live or he's going to die. He doesn't know what's going on, but one thing he knows is that no matter what takes place in his life, God is still God. God does not change who he is. And David, sitting back, I love this, sitting back, afraid. David, running for Saul, David going through every issue in life. David looking at every single person wondering what's going on in his life. Writes this verse. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Not, maybe God will help me. Verse 2 says this, When the wicked come, though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. My dude, you just said that your heart was so scared. You acted like you were insane. So insane, he starts clawing at the doors. He starts foaming at the mouth. He puts spit in his beard and throws himself on the ground. That's a whole level of crazy, y'all. Because one thing David knew is this, is that though his emotions may be high at this moment, God does not change who he is. So here's my question for you right now. When you're finding yourself in the lowest moments in the cave of Odulam, when you're running for your life and you're not sure what your meal is going to come from tomorrow or who beside you is going to try to kill you the next day, what are you doing? Who is God to you in those moments? When you're sitting back and all hell is broke, listen, it's easy to praise when you win the lottery. It's great to lift your hands when you got a raise. When you get a good health report from the doctor, it's easy to praise. But what are you going to do when the doctor goes, can you sit down for a second? We need to have a talk. What are you going to do when your job goes, hey, you know, times have been tough, and we're going to have to let some people go? What are you going to do when every relationship and every friendship and everything that you held dear is suddenly turning itself up against you? How are you going to look at your God then? What? kind of life will you have so today here's my question how are you going to learn from the cave when it's your classroom because in every life there comes a moment where you find yourself in a cave in every life there comes a moment where you're not sure where god is in every life there comes a moment where you know you are anointed and you know that you are called but everything that lines itself up says the exact opposite what are you going to do when your classroom is a cave what are you going to write down when everything around you is going to the opposite What are you going to do when you know that your kids are anointed for ministry and they're out there doing drugs on a regular basis? What are you going to do when you know that you're called for greatness and no one is even looking at you? What are you going to do when every relationship that you had held dear cusses and spits at you behind your back but kisses you to your face? What are you going to do? When you find yourself 
struggling from paycheck to paycheck, not because you made bad decisions, but because the economy has tanked. What are you going to do? And who are you going to call on? And how are you going to write about God in that moment when the cave is your classroom? Because for me in my life, I can tell you this, one of the best moments I've ever had with God is when everything is falling apart with me. When everything lined itself up against me and all I had was a cave and a cross, what am I going to do? Because one of the worst parts for David would have been him being anointed for king as a child, been thrown into the, into the palace, and never understood what it means to ground yourself in pain. Oh, this ain't good for evangelicals. I get it. We've been exempt from any issues because of the cross. That's not true. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got saved because I thought once I said this prayer... All my hard things went away. Your hard things just started. The devil was happy with you when you weren't a threat. The amount of times I've heard, Pete, I'm doing the right thing for the first time in my life and everything is going against me. When I was a sinner, when I was doing bad things, when I was living for the world, my life was better. Yeah. Yeah. Because what we're realizing is this, is that when you turn from one camp to another camp and you find yourself into a cave and God is working on who you are, it's not a fun process. Do you think a stone rejoices? Uh, do you think a stone rejoices when a man walks up to it with a chisel? See, we walk past these statues, we walk past the the the, the statue of David and all these other things and marvel at its beauty, but at one time, it was just a stone with a bunch of rough edges on it. But in a quiet place, in a painful place, a man took a chisel and a man took a hammer because everyone saw a stone, but he saw a beautiful statue and he began popping at it and popping at it, and chiseling, and pieces are falling off, and there's a big nasty mess. But eventually, out of all of that process, became a beautiful thing. And what's taking place is, we want the beauty, but we don't want the pain. And in our lives right now, I need you to hear me out. I can't promise you what's going to take place in five years from now, but I can promise you this, is that he's moving you into a place that's better for you than you are in right now. But sometimes that's not a fun walk. Sometimes that adventure that you're going on seems like you're taking a step backwards. Sometimes that step is a little bit uncomfortable. I'll never forget going to the beach. I could park my car and I could see the sand. And I could see the beach. I could see the water. I could see it all and look so beautiful. And I had to walk from my car to the beach and I took my shoes off. And you know what it was between my car and the sandy white beaches? Sand spurs. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You take a step, and you're like, oh, Jesus. And you're pulling out as if there's like landmines all over the place. The worst part was I had already started walking before I realized I was in a field of them. And then I had a choice, EJ. Do I try to go back or do I push forward? Because standing still is not an option. What lies ahead of me is beautiful. What lies behind me is comfortable. 
and I'm stuck in the middle. And where are you at today? What are you going to do when your destiny is before you and comfortability is behind you and you're in no man's land? Are you going to push forward or are you going to retreat? The enemy is actively looking for you and for me to quit. Can I tell you something? God is wanting you to move and the enemy cannot stop God's progress. But you can. You can have the choice whether or not you take a step forward or a step backwards or stand still. The enemy, his lies. Can I tell you this? The person next to you can't stop your progress. Your boss can't stop your progress. The president of the United States cannot stop your progress. Your health cannot stop your progress. Come on, somebody. The economy cannot stop your progress. Your issues of your past can't stop your progress. When you quit, that's what stops your progress. David could have stayed in the cave and died. He could have hid his life out as an old man in isolation. But he allowed the cave to become his classroom. He allowed this cave experience to chisel a man out who became a man after God's own heart. A man who's a man after God's own heart isn't because he's always a worshiper, but because he's allowing the process to take its place. Because God knows where you're supposed to be. And God knows who you're supposed to be. Are you going to allow the process? Or are you going to do your best to reject the chisel of the master's hand? The Bible's funny. Because it's got quite the dichotomy in itself. Because those who God punishes, He loves. I love this because He's seen as a gardener, especially in the New Testament. And it says that when He walks up and He sees the dead branches, what's He do? Somebody? He cuts them off. But when he sees the good branches, what's he do? He prunes those too. <laughs> if you're trying to avoid the pruning process, you're not going to go anywhere in life. He's pruning you. He's pruning me. He's not punishing you. I don't look at a rose bush and prune it because I hate it. I prune it because I see what it could be next season. And God's looking at you. And he sees what's ahead of you next season. And we're over here screaming at the pruning. And he's laughing going, if you could only see what it's going to produce, you would thank me for every cut. When the cave is your classroom, you can even fell it and stay in the cave or learn the progress and learn the process and pass and move into the palace. The choice is always yours. But what are you going to do? in between your anointings. What are you going to do when it's not lining up? I've had the privilege of watching my dad over the past few months, and I know it's not been fun for him. It's not been encouraging for him. It's not been joyful for him. He hasn't done a dance because he's so happy about the season of life that his body has been in. But for me, I've got to watch. What's he going to do in this moment? Can I tell you, it's easy to be a man of faith when you're healthy. It's easy to say, oh, you just have faith, Pete. You're sick? Cast it out. Rebuke it. Stand up. 
It's a totally different thing when you're watching somebody else go through it. And what I got to see in the past few months is, will he really stand firm and believe what he has told me he believes? Or was it only convenient at that moment? And I've watched in the good times, in the bad times, I've listened to the confession of his mouth and go, he actually believes this. But you don't know until you find yourself in a cave what you really believe. I know today isn't one of those five points in a poem. I don't have a great story to make you laugh and do a dance. Tomorrow, you're going to wake up, you're going to go about your day, and I'm not going to sit there and give you five applicable steps on how to get out of a cave, because I don't know how long a cave season is for each individual person. But one thing I do know is this, is that the cave is a classroom in your life. And this cave is meant for you to be cut in a good way. So today, as we wrap this thing up, ask yourself, have I been rejecting the pruning of my life? Have I been sitting back going, God, I don't want any more. Have I found myself stagnant in my walk with God? Have I found myself stuck because somebody else offended me in my past? Am I living in a moment of my life, of a place that took place 20, 30, 40 years ago? And letting, as the calendar flips, I stand still. Am I living my life in a stuck place? And I can't answer that, only you can. I can't answer whether or not you're stuck, only you can. The easiest way for me to tell when I'm stuck, can I tell you? It's a bruise on my arm. Ever had a, 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 had a sore or a bruise on your arm? How do you know what's there? It hurts when somebody touches it. The difference between a sore and a scar is you can touch a scar and it tells me of a story, but it doesn't hurt me anymore. But every time somebody says something, every time somebody touches something, every time your big air quotes triggered by something, you know what that is? You're living life through a sore. But Pete, you don't know. You're right, I don't. And I'm not sitting here, and I'm not speaking high and mighty. Because you know what? In my life, I still have sores. I'm still walking through a process. But can I tell you, the painful experiences of my past are no longer going to be used to hold me back from my future. And there will be a day when I'll look back and be like, here's my scars, and I'll tell you all about my scars because it no longer hurts me anymore. And when you look, every time an issue, every time a news article, every time you see that person at Walmart, every time you see something on Facebook, every time you hear a song and you're constantly triggered and triggered and triggered and you're reliving something that took place 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, the reality is that you're stuck in a moment. And he's either a great physician or he's not. And can I tell you, looking at God saying, God, can you make this sore a scar is a scary moment. Because so many times our painful experiences have been used as a security blanket. Because it's an excuse for me to stay where I'm at. 
I'm where I'm at, but you don't understand the pain that I experienced and I'm standing here. You don't understand the hurt that somebody else caused. You don't understand the hurt that I myself have caused. And we're using these sores to keep us stuck. That's not what David did. David was rejected by his own family. And he worshipped. David served his king until his king tried to stick a javelin through him. And he loved him. David found himself from, from the palace into a cave and he worshiped God. When his enemy who tried to kill him on multiple occasions died, David wept for him. Because he couldn't let his sores keep him stuck. Every time you go on, you don't, you don't understand what my mama did. You don't understand what my daddy did. You don't understand what my ex did. You don't understand what my boss did. You don't understand what this took place. You don't understand how that took place. You don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. You're right. I don't understand. But can I ask you this question right now? And that is this. When you look at yourself 10 years from now, will that person understand while you're still stuck? Or will they look back at you and go, you should have moved forward from your past? It's not easy. And I'm not going to sit here and say, if you say this prayer after me, all your pain goes away. This does not happen. But when the cave is my classroom, I look at my sores and I work on them to be healed. When you're in isolation and you're going through painful moments, it's a beautiful time to focus on your pain to be healed, so it turned into a scar. When I was a kid, I don't remember how old I was when I got attacked by that dog. How old was I? Eight. I had my face bit off by a dog. It's a good time. I'll never forget standing there in that kitchen of my friend's neighbor's house, looking at my hand, saturated with blood, going, this ain't good. I had stitches and shots and all that fun stuff. That was a painful experience. Nowadays, I tell that story, and I have a little bit of a scar, and I tell the joke every single time, and that is this. Yeah, I got bitten by a dog, and they had to do plastic surgery on my face. If you touch it, there's no feeling at all, and they go to touch it, and I bark at them, and they, they scream. It's the funniest thing. What I did is I took a painful moment in my life, and I've lightened it up because it no longer has hold on me. I had an opportunity as a kid to be petrified of dogs for the rest of my life. It's not what I'm going to do. What are you allowing to control you today that took place 20 years ago? What are you giving power to today that took place 20 months ago? Can I tell you? You don't have 20 hours to give it. When you deal with an experience and you have some pain, don't sweep it under the rug. It's just going to stand there. And so will you. It creates a tether to your soul, and you can try to take a couple of steps, but you'll always get pulled right back. We good? Everybody good? When you find yourself 
in the cave and it becomes your classroom. It's the best moment of your life to turn a sore into a scar. And so you can tell other people, mm, I had pain too. I got cut too. I've had surgery too. And it becomes a testimony of what God has led you through. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Because your testimony has so much power, not just about you, but for other people to know if Bob can go through what Bob went through, if Bill can go what Bill went through, if Elaine can go through what Elaine went through. Your dad's talking about these testimonies at offering time. You, you're going through garbage? Talk to Elaine. Talk to an Alan. Hear their testimony because you go, if God can help you, <laughs> he can help me. Because your testimony helps me put fuel in my, in my tank to continue my process. All right. Heavenly God, we just thank you for this day. Jesus, we just thank you that you are still the great physician, that you are who you are yesterday, today, and forever. That no matter what takes place and the feelings that we go through and the painful experiences that we have, we don't minimize them, we don't ignore them, but we address them. And we address them by the blood. God, your word says that it is by your stripes we are healed. That you were bruised for our transgression. You are wounded for our iniquities. And that God, I just think that is both body, soul, and spirit. And so God, I just thank you right now that we take back the power. We take back the issue, the, 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 the authority we've given pain. We, we take back the, 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 the power that we've given problems and we bring them back to the cross because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And God, I just think that there is no pain and there is no problem bigger than who you are and that your name is above every other name and that we address it to the cross for your healing, for your power, for your presence. And we just thank you that no matter who has abandoned us, who has lied to us, who has stabbed us, who has abused us, who has attacked us, who, uh, whoever here has, has done self-inflicted wounds, no matter what depression has said, no matter what anxiety has said, no matter what your, your lies and your mind have told you, no matter the words people have used, no matter the things that they have called you or called you, whatever is going on. Can I tell you right now, in the name of Jesus, that your power is big enough to break every stronghold, every issue, every problem, every curse of the enemy, every curse of a family member, every curse of a friendship, every curse of an economy. God is thinking that your word is bigger than any issue and any problem, and we claim that today over our lives. And every time we feel ourselves getting triggered, and every time we find ourselves getting bumped by our sores, God, I just thank you that we speak to it and declare right now that this sore will be a scar for a testimony to be used for other people's salvation. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.